we, we hope that this church, that this body of believers is a place that uh, can be a genuine family to you and a safe place where we can uh, take on some serious issues head on um, and that we can uh, look deeper and deeper into the sea of truth that we find in the Word of God and in His Gospel. We want to grow and know one another while we firstly seek to grow and know our Lord. So, uh, let's pray. Uh, and like I say, every time I preach, uh, we, there's nothing that we can say, there's nothing that we can do or sing or, or think of unless we are firstly uh, coming about God in a f- state of humility, of praise, and of reverence to the Lord. So let's humbly uh, come before the Lord this morning and pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we... Um, we, we love you. We, we, we want to desire you this morning. I pray that we um, can, can get a small glimpse of how glorious you are. And I pray that your gospel is preached and it is preached well. And that we can be transformed by it. And I pray that you can work in us and through us so that we can change the lives around us and the world around us. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So like I said, my name's Tyler, and uh, I'm what many would consider a millennial, um, and uh, it's pretty well recognized that millennials are like super technologically uh, savvy and stuff, but the funny thing is, is that being at my age, uh, some would also consider me like an old man in a 23-year-old's body, basically. So I, I don't really, I'm not super in touch with everything that's going on in that cyber world, but I have a pretty good understanding with what the effects that it has on us. So uh, when I was asked to talk about the selfie, or talk about selfies and stuff, I was like, Okay, that's cool. When, when was the last time I even took a selfie? I don't even, I literally don't even remember. So um, I was going to show you a couple of my selfies, some of the most exquisite selfies that I've taken, but we couldn't get them on the screen. So um, consider yourself blessed that you didn't get to see those. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and, and the reason I wanted to show you those and, um, and laugh a little bit was uh, I think it can become incredibly easy to display to the world an image of ourselves that is, is in fact not an accurate depiction of who we really are. See, we, we take pictures of ourselves so we can capture the absolute best parts of us, but why do we do this? Because people, we think people actually care about those sorts of things, right? See, see deep, deep down inside, we, we have this presupposition that we're in fact the point of this whole life thing, like the main event the point in which all things point away from, the point in which all things point towards, we become the center of our own universe, right? Because we're, we're not the point. And it's as simple as that. We're not the point, and we don't want to hear that. We don't really, uh, there's nothing about us that wants to admit that we're not the point. So as the ones that are in control of how the world sees us, we have this increasing desire to display to the world a polished image of ourselves. And this uh, becomes incredibly problematic when the majority of the world uh, couldn't give a rip about what you have to show. Because it's just, it, they don't. It, it's because the rest of the world's looking at itself in a mirror. And it couldn't really care too much about the people to its left or the people to its right. It's typically just looking right in the mirror at whoever's looking at it. And in this case, it's not a mirror, it's a phone lens. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning our identity. Our identity begins to crumble when we seek to find it through approval of others. 
It's just the truth. And if you could open your Bibles uh, with me or follow along the screen on your phone, um, all my slides are going to be on the app and everything. Um, we're going to be starting off by looking at a verse in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And while you're flipping there, if you don't have a Bible, uh, look in front of you or below you. There's, there's a Bible there, hopefully, and uh, take that one with you. Uh, we want you to read it. We, we take the Bible very seriously here at Bethany. We think it is uh, the greatest blessing, one of the greatest blessings that we have. And uh, even more so, we love the, the writer, the author of it. We, we love the one that gave it to us, um, God himself. So First Samuel 16, uh, 7, it states this, But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Well, I think one of the, the most relevant subjects within um, our culture today with regards to this uh, outward versus inward uh, dynamic is the massive world of Snapchat, right? I mean, you can't really talk about selfies if you don't talk about Snapchat. I mean, that's basically what it is, just a massive ocean of, of selfies that kind of reeks, in my opinion, of uh, ego and kind of self-praise sometimes. And if you want to know where your heart is, I'd ask you to look at your Snap story or you look at what you're posting online. The pastor of a church I went to in Denver, he always said this, out of an overflow of the heart, the fingers post. Out of an overflow of the heart, the fingers type. It's a biblical principle. Uh, you, you know what's crazy? When you, when you post online, actually uh, you're posting for everyone to see. So you can set it to private or you, can, or you can hide it in one way or another, but you're basically setting yourself up for the world to see the condition of your heart. It's typically not in that great of shape. That should scare us for sure. But what's even more uh, terrifying is that God can also see what we post. He can see what we send to our friends and what, we're, what we say to our friends. Just because your account's set to like private or, um, in, or, yeah, or if you're hiding from, uh, if you have it on private, doesn't mean God's just like sitting there all clueless, like, oh, he didn't accept my friend request. Now I can't see what he posts on Facebook. Um, it's not just that's not how it works. Or even worse, you you keep him as your friend, but you unfollow him so you don't have to like see what he's posting all the time. You know who you are. You, you do this with some of your friends that post way too much about their relationship. Right? And you just want to throw up because you don't want to see it anymore. It's just ridiculous. Or like people that post way too much about their food life and you're just like, come on, what is this? I don't want to follow this. Uh, well, listen, that just doesn't work with God. He, he posts like nonstop about how much he loves us. He posts nonstop about his overwhelming grace that he extends towards us. Yet many of us want to unfollow him for just a bit because what he posts is a bit too serious sometimes or maybe it's a little uncomfortable to hear or read. His account's kind of, kind of intense. We won't unfriend him, though, because we don't want to think we hate him, right? But we just don't really want to see what he has to say. Let's take a, a second and just look at a few statistics um, that I found about Snapchat alone. It's pretty, pretty insane. Um, this one here. Uh, the average amount of Snapchat stories that are shared within one day around the world varies between four and 700 million. One day, 
one day. To a little bit of context, um, the population of America is like 327 million. And that's around the world in one day. Look at this. Um, active Snapchatters on average open the app uh, 18 plus times every day. Some tells me that the, uh, the Bible app's activity is probably not up to par with that. It's just a, just a far-fetched guess. Um, this one is actually the, one of the most insane ones I can think of. It would take you 10 years to view all the photos and videos shared on Snapchat in the last hour. 10 years. That would be the most miserable 10 years of my life. Just pointless. Um, and then within that, um, by the time you viewed those, another 880,000 years worth of photos would have been shared. It's just absurd. I hope Jesus comes back before any of that starts happening. Um, (laughs) Think about it. Think about it. Uh, Even just within the world of Snapchat, in one day, we have almost double the population of America of people sharing their faces on this app. For what? What, What's it for? What's it really for? Is it for fun? Because my friends are goofy. Yeah, probably. I mean... Uh, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, is it for like marketing, business-related things? Probably, probably not. Um, maybe you have no idea why you're doing it because the world around you, the culture around you, is just seems, uh, makes it seem like it's just a norm to be you know, sharing that sort of stuff. Maybe that's the case. Or what if you're the person that spends hours upon hours of editing and creating this perfect picture of your face and then, and then you with hopes that you post it on the internet and then, then people are just freak out like oh this is the best picture I've ever seen you're so beautiful or you're so buff or you're so handsome or what, I don't know what you, whatever you're expecting and then only a few people like it only a few people uh, like it well now that person's convinced that that's how the world sees them and that's the final say Right? And it's devastating because they think and they find their beauty in what they're posting on there, but then the world's like, huh, okay, I've got better things to do. And it's devastating. And unfortunately, more often than not, we can easily translate how the world sees us as how God sees us too. We can easily translate how the world sees us as how God sees us too. And my friends, if you've ever thought that, if you've ever had a hint of thinking that is true, I ask you and I plead of you to step out of that lie. Step out of it and step into the truth of how Jesus sees you. And we're going to go into that, but step out of that lie that the world sees you as how God sees you and step into the truth of how God truly sees you. See, the truth of selfies is looking for someone outside yourself to affirm your beauty and worth, and um, there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually correct. You're not doing anything wrong. But it's not to other people that we should be looking for that affirmation from. It's from God Himself that we should be seeking that affirmation. We don't have to look in all these silly places anymore to get thumbs up or approval from the people around us. We've already been affirmed through His work on the cross. Through His grace, we're welcomed into a fresh, a new identity. And some of us really need to hear that this morning, that we serve a God that despite our ugliness in our hearts, that despite our imperfections in our lives or our past mistakes, He willingly goes to the cross to bear the weight of those sins. And that's what I want to spend the most of our time on this morning, on this topic of identity and how and where we find our identity. 
Because really this isn't just a talk about selfies. It's not just a talk about Snapchat or Facebook, Instagram, or any of those things. See, I don't think selfies are the problem. I don't think those things are the problem. I think that I am the problem. I I think that that we um, can be the problem. I think the way that I view myself and my tendencies to let the world shape me and mold me uh, is the problem. I don't want to blame this app. I don't want to blame that app. I don't want to blame the sin in the world for what's going on. I'm sick of pointing fingers. It's about time that, that, I, that I recognize that there's a pro- if there's any problem at all, it starts right here in my heart. If there's any problem in this world at all, it starts in all of our hearts. Romans 3.10 uh, states this. It says, As it is written... None is righteous. No, not one. Basically saying, you ain't that good. You ain't that good. There's not, there's not a person on this earth that has a clue about how to um, conjure up enough merit or enough good works to save themselves to achieve salvation. It's just not possible, guys. Let's take a look at uh, this instance where Jesus calls uh, out some of the religious elites of his time. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew 23, verse uh, 25 through 28. And in particular, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees who, uh, if you don't know, were clinging to the law in a legalistic manner. So basically, and they were seeking uh, righteousness through obedience to the law. Which... Obviously, it wasn't really that wrong within that Jewish perspective, right? Their worldview. That's all they had was the law, so they were following it. But they thought they could follow the law in order to be made perfect. That through following the law, they can achieve salvation. But it's clear over and over in the Old Testament uh, that the law is not to provide righteousness, but to expose sinfulness. It it, it builds kind of like a foundation and a perimeter of where our sin problem is in the world and basically just shouts, this is where you need a Savior. This is where you need a Savior. uh, And you will see in this passage that Jesus is saying, basically, no, this, this isn't a me, me, me sort of gospel. This is a Jesus, Jesus, Jesus sort of gospel. This, This is a sinner being saved from sin sort of gospel. And we can't get this wrong like the Pharisees do in this passage. Um, Jesus, he says this, and it's uh, very intense. Listen, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. My friends, uh, my prayer is that we can be a people that allow God to work in us from the inside out. And not to attempt to beautify ourselves from the outside in. And so I think the first step forward is for us to do this. Live an imago-driven life and steer clear of an ego-driven life. Live an imago-driven life and steer clear of an ego-driven life. 
When I speak of imago-driven, I'm, I'm talking primarily about the theological term imago Dei, which is Latin for I- I- image of God. And in this term, we basically find the purpose and the essence in which every single person was created. This term takes us actually all the way back to Genesis 1, where it states this, uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And we may all be familiar with this concept that God created man uh, and woman, but we breeze right over the fact that it says, In His image. The text actually states it in the plural form, our image, uh, implying that either uh, God is like schizophrenic and talking to himself, or uh, God is uh, indeed triune in nature. Indeed, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existing co-eternally as one. And he creates something beautiful. He is a creator, and he creates something that has so much greatness that he, that he wants them to be in his own image. A creature in the likeness of his holiness. And it's not in the same greatness as him, but in his image. And at that time, obviously there was no condemnation, there was no evil in the world. There was just this glorious unity between God, the creator, and his people on earth. It was beyond what we can imagine perfect as, basically. And the most devastating uh, and traumatic event that ever took place in history uh, occurs uh, as the nature of humanity and creation fall into despair because of the fall. The reality of sin became manifest in all of creation, and it affects us even to today. But God has acted. He's, He's done something about this. He's done something about the tragic mess that we've uh, made ourselves. And he sent his son, Jesus, being fully God and fully man as this perfect piece in the puzzle. See, there is a massive penalty for the sin of the world. Uh, it's, just, it's just how it is. God being the perfect judge, he and his holiness had to do something with the injustice set before him by his people. He had to bring justice. Now, outside of the context of a savior... Humans have no hope. Like, we can't do anything outside of a, a Savior, a Messiah. In the, in the end, there's nothing that we could do or have done to made right before God as we once were. You see, over here is the presence of God and the light of the world, the light of life and life in its fullness. And, and we... Take a step away from that. What happens when we take a step away? We just take a step into darkness. See, if we think of it as light and darkness, um, darkness is basically the absence of light, right? It's the exact nothingness of light. So we chose to be over here in the darkness, and and, and death and sin has created this barrier that is never going to be able to be dealt with on the, the merit and the good works of who... Uh, where we're at on this side. So something had to be done with the death and sin that um, marred between the Creator God and His people. We deserve to pay that. We do. Because of our rebellion against God, yet in the midst of our sinfulness, um, we find so much grace. Uh, And here's a quote from pastor and uh, theologian John MacArthur. He says this, he says, All the food the sinner ever eats, God gave him. All the air the sinner ever breathes, God gave him. All the joys the sinner ever experiences, God provided. 
all the love he had ever experienced in the human world, everything, all of his senses are from God. All of the pleasures of life to meet those senses are from God. Every beauty of life is from God. It is God who has given wisdom to us. He's given wisdom to the mind of every human being to think and feel and work and play and rest that life might be full and useful. And it's God who made us love and, it, and made us laugh and, and made us cry. It's God who gave us special skills and abilities to excel in some areas and to know some measure of self-respect and value. It is God who gave us the capacity to care for each other and have relationships. It's God who providentially preserves us from getting every disease and dying every death. God literally surrounds the sinners with mercy. God literally surrounds sinners with mercy. And while all of these things are are great and they're true blessings and they're excellent, they're not quite as monumental, not quite as absolutely mind-boggling, not quite as eternally significant as Jesus Christ coming into this world and becoming the substitute for our sins on the cross. And dying the death that we deserve so that we might be called righteous before our holy God. So that we may be perfect in our relationship with Him once again. This isn't some fairy tale. This is just the truth. And we can now live in the reality of God's glory and mercy without being defined by what God hates. We're given a brand new identity. Not as the ego of sinful man and woman, but as his image. The image that Christ makes readily available through faith in him. Um, Another pastor, uh, John Piper, uh, says this. Well, he adopted us, according to Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. So you've been brought into a transformed family that you might might praise the glory, and especially now in Christ, the glory of grace. Or 1 Peter 2.9, He made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that we may proclaim His excellencies, the one who called us out of darkness into light. We are who we are with the design to proclaim His excellencies. That's our meaning. That's our identity. We, we exist to display the excellencies of God. Or, or 1 Corinthians 10.31, He has given you food and drink. Why? He's giving you tongues to taste. Why? So that you, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you would do it to the glory of God. That's who you are. That's your nature. That's your identity. Your identity is to live, to display His identity as glorious. Your identity is to live, to display His identity as glorious. So so now, what's absolutely necessary when it comes to us being conformed uh, to the image of Christ and being true image bearers, it's not some tiny adjustment, not some uh, small behavioral modification or anything like that. It is, in fact, a complete overhaul from the inside. We, we need to be made completely new from the inside out, over and over again, so that the Holy Spirit might grow us in our faith and allow the process of sanctification take a hold of your life. And this is just the only way. The only way to escape this situation is by changing the heart and only God can do such things. So these last few minutes of our time here this morning, 
I want to get extremely practical. I want, I want to know how I can live in this gospel-centered reality. I want to know how to go about this imago-driven life. Well, here, here are four strategies um, titled this. Four ways to live out an imago-driven life. Um, the first one is this. Worship like you were made in the image of Christ. Worship like you were made in the image of Christ. See, true worship, it comes when we let go of our old creation, our old body, our old self, we step into the new. It comes when we surrender to God that we're so very lost without Him and we're basically just taken back at the God of the universe that calls us His. Man, His gospel is just such good news, my friends. How, how can we not praise Him with everything that we do? How, how, how can we not joyfully give to those in need? How can we not go and tell the gospel into the ends of the earth? How can we not find peace? How can we not find abundant joy by simply being in the presence of our Savior? And by our Creator. It's just unbelievable, guys. It's unbelievable that we have such a God that loves us that much. And when we sing to Him, and when we worship Him through our actions, we are indeed living out what it means to be made in His image. The second one is this. Love like you were made in the image of Christ. So because we're made in the image of Christ, we ought to love those around us as He loved those around us. Around him, we have an account, uh, account after account, of examples where where Jesus puts the needs of others before um, his own needs. I mean, he even did this to his death. He did it out of love on the cross with everybody, every sinner in mind. He did this out of love, and there's and here's the truth, guys: that uh, Jesus he doesn't hesitate in his love. He doesn't second-guess his intentions. He's 100% all-in about loving his people. He doesn't question um, whether or not he should love them based on how they've sinned or what they've wronged him or how they've wronged him. After all, he did say, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He loves the least of us regardless of our filth. <laughs> he loved people so much they died so that we may have a second chance into a life eternal. So we ought to be people that love other people as Jesus did. And this leads us to the third one. And it says this, rejoice like you were made in the image of Christ. So because of Christ's great work on the cross, we have more than enough reason to shout with joy. Now that we know we bear the image of a holy God and live in His grace, day by day we're brought back to a place of rejoice and delight in the Lord like we've never experienced before. Um, Psalm 100 is a perfect um, example of this and a perfect heart cry of someone that finds their identity in the Lord. Let's read this real quick. Um, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and and we are His. We are His people in the sheep of His pastures. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever in His faithfulness to all generations. And I encourage you uh, all to uh, utilize the Bible app. And if if I've um, motivated you to do anything from this um, service... But what I've talked about, my hope is that you can be encouraged uh, to read this psalm, Psalm 100, 
every day this week. Every morning when you, when you wake up, um, just be rejuvenated and be refreshed by a glorious Lord that we serve and follow him throughout that day. The fourth one and the last one is this. Evangelize like you were made in the image of Christ. Matthew five fourteen states this. You're, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. We, haven't been, uh, we have been, in fact, brought out of darkness, but, but we cannot remain content knowing that other people are in darkness, Right? And I pray that this church doesn't just sit on the sidelines while many in our town and many in our university go throughout their days without knowing of this gospel, without knowing that they have a God that loves them more than anybody could ever love them on this earth. Here's the thought. Do you know why we're uh, attracted to one another? Why uh, it's so easy to make an idol out of people, out of um, movie stars or uh, actresses, singers? Do you know why we're so interested in ourselves? Because we're the closest thing on God's created earth that resemble the creator of the earth. We're meant to desire God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we, in his image, we forget that and we desire what looks like him. We completely miss the mark. And when we know we're created in the image of God, then we can begin to vertically worship together as we were meant to be. But we can so easily miss the point when we, we, when we think that's the final step. No, no the, final, the final step is to bring everyone together so that God alone may be brought glory. Living in the image of God means that we desire to evangelize to a people that are longing to hear this incredible gospel, whether they know it or not. And the, the, the truth of this is that the harvest is very much plentiful, even in Gunnison. And the laborers are very much few, even in Gunnison. So I encourage us to be that image of Jesus to people and shine on a hill so that the people of Gunnison might know Jesus. So I, I want to end with what I was talking about in the beginning. We started by looking at how we desire to polish our identities with endless amounts of remedies and uh, ways that we hope will eventually cause people around us to accept us or to praise us. We, we doctor up our pain and our weaknesses and act like everything's okay when, when more often than not, in reality, it's, uh, it surely isn't okay. Things usually aren't going that great and we want to um, just tell people everything's okay. May we be people that strive after how God sees us in light of this amazing gospel. And I have one last quote for you. Uh, It's from Philip Yancey. It's just this. How would your life change if you looked in the mirror and saw what God sees? How would your life change if you looked in the mirror and saw what God sees? I think that not only your world will be rocked, but the entire world will be changed. I think that if we can understand, and if we only knew how God sees us and what he desires to do through us, then his gospel will be amazingly spread and change lives. Uh, Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we we come before you knowing that um, we we fall short of your glory. We, We come before you knowing that we 
by nature, um, never wanted to desire you, but you came to us and you planted in us a seed of desire. And you made yourself irresistible to us. So I pray that every single person in this room, in every single morning that they wake up, that we can wake up praising your name, Jesus. Just unapologetically, just praising your name and not caring about what the world thinks around us. I pray that we can influence the university. I pray that we can influence this town, our workplace, with your gospel. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so good. Holy Spirit, work through us. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Make us confident in you, God. And speak through us. Pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.